Ben speaking with us. We're so excited to have you here. Um, just for anyone who quick like update a little bit on who Jenny is. So after falling while tumbling at the age of 16, Jenny Smith sustained a C6-7 spinal cord injury, leaving her paralyzed from the chest down. Through her blog, Jenny rolls on. She works to motivate and educate others to live the impossible, as she does by sharing her story and experiences as a quad. As well as a writer, she's also an avid rower, peer mentor, dynamic speaker, encourager, and advocate for accessibility and education through spinal cord in about spinal cord injury and disability. She has completed her master's degree in counseling psychology and distributed wheelchairs um, to, for eight years in developing countries. She currently, she's working on, with a nonprofit organization that supports workers overseas. We're so excited to have you here to speak with us. And we are so um, like amazed that, and about your story and everything and so excited to hear more. So I can hand it, hand it over to Jenny and you can just spend some time telling us more about who you are and your story. And then we can kick it over to questions. And then at the end, we'll be having kind of a speed round where we just answer some fun questions. So Jenny to you. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for inviting me to do this today. What I wanna take the opportunity to do is to talk about what happens when an unimaginable situation happens. What is your response? because all of us will experience an unimaginable situation. For you, it might be the divorce of your parents or the death of a loved one, not making the varsity team or not getting into the university of your dreams. But you need to decide when the unimaginable happens. Are you going to believe that life is impossible or are you going to decide to live the impossible. The unimaginable happened to me when I was 16 years old, the age that some of you guys are. I was outside tumbling doing gymnastics. I had been a gymnast since I was three years old. And it was something that was very easy for me that I had mastered when I was in elementary school. I believe one or two of you are gymnasts. And so for those of you who are, I was doing a round off back handspring layout. But when I took off for the layout, I didn't have enough height or rotation to make it all the way around. And I landed face first in the grass. When I landed, I heard my neck pop and I lost all feeling and all movement in the rest of my body, in my arms and my legs. I heard my friends run over to me and ask, Jenny, are you okay? Don't move me, I've hurt my spinal cord. I don't know where I learned that. I don't know if I learned it at the gym, if I learned it in school, but it was a good thing that I did learn it. As I lay there in the grass, there was one thing I was really concerned about, that bugs were gonna crawl toward me and I wouldn't be able to get away from them. Oh, I was a girly girl, but that's who I was. That day changed my life forever, but it's also taken me places that I never would have dared to imagine. All these years later, I've completed a master's degree in counseling psychology. For eight years, I distributed wheelchairs in developing countries like Mexico and Afghanistan. I now support my coworkers who live and work overseas. And now on hot and humid summer mornings, 
You won't find me doing gymnastics, but you will find me on the Ohio River rowing with the Louisville Adaptive Rowing Program. In the years since my injury, I've learned a number of lessons, but the lessons can be boiled down into three points. And the first is to live with hope, pass your hope on to others, and be willing to take a risk. After my injury, I spent two weeks in the hospital and then I transferred over to rehab where I spent two and a half months. And it was in rehab where I was going to have to learn how to live life as a quadriplegic. I had some movement in my arms, had no movement in my hands, still had no feeling. And I was gonna learn how to pick up a fork, how to pick up a cup, to take a drink? Was I going to be able to brush my teeth? Would I ever be able to get in and out of bed or get dressed by myself? Some of these things took years for me to learn and it was a seemingly hopeless situation. But then I had a visitor. I was sitting in the rehab room and a woman in her mid twenties pushed a wheelchair into my room. And I was looking her over, you know, how we kind of check each other out. And I wasn't quite sure about this person because her hands looked a lot like my hands. And I don't like the way my hands look. But she pushed over in her wheelchair and introduced herself. And her name was Lois. And she had been injured about five years earlier while she was up on a ladder um, cleaning out the gutters at her university. She had competed in three different sports and she was injured. She was a quad my, at my level. Listening to her story about how she was able to re return to school um, and graduate, she was able to drive a modified vehicle. She played sports again. Uh, she was wheelchair racing at the time. And then she had also returned to college for a nursing degree as a quad. It was encouraging, but at the same time, I sat there disheartened because she hadn't gotten better. And you know, in those first few months, you hold on, months and years of an injury, you just hold on to the hope that you're gonna walk again. You're gonna be the one to beat the odds. And Lois hadn't but I sat glued to every word that she had to say. And she pulled a quarter out of her purse. And she tossed it on the floor. And she leaned over and showed me how she was able to pick the quarter up off the floor, even though she didn't have use of her hands. And it's a trick of the trade for quadriplegics called tenodesis. So you guys are gonna jump in here and get involved. So put your arm up, relax your wrist, relax your fingers. And the trick here is not to use your fingers. Most people wanna use your fingers because it's just automatic. But if you pull your wrist up, what happens to your thumb and your first finger? They kind of draw together a little bit, don't they? Just enough to be able to pick something up. And that's how she was able to pick the quarter up off the floor, even without any function in her fingers or thumb. Oh, that was kind of cool. And then she got a pen out and put it in her hand 
and using only her shoulder movement because you typically write with your fingers, don't you? She signed her name. She was able to relearn how to write. Now you guys have to remember, this was back in the olden days when there were no laptop computers. So when I returned to school, I was gonna have to learn how to write again. I couldn't rely on a computer. Well, Lois really got my attention when she pulled a tube of mascara out of her purse. Because remember that girly girl laying in the grass afraid of the bugs? Well, a lot of things don't change. And I was still a 16 year old girl who wanted to be able to put on mascara and look pretty. Lois was giving me hope. And that hope came in the form of a tube of mascara. Living independently was impossible at that time for me, but I could learn to put on mascara. And when the unimaginable happens, where are you going to find hope? For me, I oftentimes draw to my faith. That's where I get my hope from. But in this instance, God was giving me hope through Lois, through a tube of mascara. Where are you going to find your hope? Well, the only reason I've been able to live with hope is because people like Lois have intentionally or unintentionally given me hope. They've passed their hope on to me. And I believe that we all need mentors in our life who will encourage us during those times where we think something is impossible. And I'd like to just stop for a moment and ask you guys if you can think of someone who's been in your life um, it can be a friend, it can be a mentor, a teacher, a coach, um, someone who has given you hope or uh, shown you the ropes when you've needed it. You can either put it in the chat, or you can take yourself off of mute if you can think of someone. I think uh, definitely Lydia has been a great mentor and Heather. I, I just have to say, it taught me so much just in general. So, yeah. That's great. Anyone else? Seventh grade teacher. Yeah, seventh grade teachers. I remember a seventh grade teacher. Yeah. I think they see a lot more than we think they see. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can all use mentors. And there have been mentors in my life who I don't think even knew that they were acting as a mentor and passing their hope along to me. Once I went to the University of Louisville, I was passing this other girl who used a wheelchair. Every couple days I would pass her and I would just kind of once again, check her out. And there was something about her that I realized she had that I didn't. I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I kept my eye on her. She was definitely a lower, lower level injury. So she had full use of her arms and hands. So she could do a lot more than I could. But there was one day that I finally decided I'm gonna do this. So I pushed my chair over to her. I said, hi, I'm Jenny. I, I'm new to all this. Um, but you, 
you just always look so nice. Oh, I was so embarrassed. I felt like I'd made a fool out of myself. But you see, Terry often was wearing a mini skirt and always looked really fashionable. And what Terry had that I didn't was confidence. It was over the years I got to know Terry and I learned that she was living by herself. She had a part-time job in addition to going to school and she had a boyfriend. In the midst of just living her life, she was living the impossible in her unimaginable situation. A couple years later, Terry returned from the Miss Wheelchair America with the national title. And so she, as part of her responsibilities as Miss Wheelchair America, she was supposed to start a pageant at the state level. What do you think that meant? I got asked to participate at the Miss Wheelchair Kentucky pageant. And my response, oh no. I didn't feel confident enough to represent the state, much less go to an event where I was supposed to be representing other people with disabilities at that point. But with some positive peer pressure, I ended up representing the state of Kentucky at the Miss Wheelchair America pageant. And it was at that pageant that I got to meet 26 other women with disabilities. I got to meet others who weren't ashamed of having to talk about bladder and bowel issues or about getting dressed or needing help. And it was liberating being able to talk with someone openly and honestly. And one of the women that I met, her name was Leslie. And Leslie was representing Georgia and she was Georgian to the core. Blonde, probably not down through the root, but she was blonde with a strong Southern draw. And she had actually participated in able-bodied pageants as a quadriplegic. Does that not sound like confidence to you? So I was, as I was getting to know Leslie, I just asked, who's here with you to help with, you know, stuff, bladder and bowel and getting dressed. And she's like, oh, I do that by myself. What? I didn't know that was possible. But then she also added on, no, my husband's here with me. We're newlyweds. She was such a newlywed. She just was beaming. Wow, she was independent in her personal care. She was married, she was working. Once again, she was living the impossible. It was Leslie and Terry and others who have shown me that it's possible to live the impossible in the midst of your unimaginable situations. And it's taught me that, I've, that I have a responsibility to pass my hope onto others. While I was getting my graduate degree in counseling psychology, I had to do an internship. And I met two interns there who were from Poland. And I was just interested about what it was like for people with disabilities in Poland. I knew it wasn't accessible. So I, I asked Magda, what is it, how do people get to and from work or school in Poland when things aren't accessible? And Magda responded, 
Well, a lot of people don't even have wheelchairs. Oh, in my little corner of planet Earth, I got injured. I was given a chair, actually two, a power chair and a manual chair. And I was given rehab and I was allowed to continue on with life. That's not how it works in many countries in the world. She told me about an organization that would distribute wheelchairs in Poland. And it sounded like a wonderful thing to get involved with, but I was a grad student. I didn't have any more time to do anything, but it planted a seed. And one year later, I picked up the church bulletin and read about a man who was going to Afghanistan to distribute wheelchairs. I got in contact with Tim and I said, Tim, what are you doing? I'm interested. So he put me in touch with the organization. And within a couple weeks, I was talking with the vice president of the organization. He explained how they collect used wheelchairs here in the US that would otherwise just go in the dump, that would be thrown away, but they refurbished them, put them in a container, and then ship them overseas. Then they send a group of volunteers over who are trained in seating and positioning so that each wheelchair can be fitted for the person who receives it. A wheelchair is a lot like a pair of shoes. If a pair of shoes don't fit you, they can do more harm than good. And so each chair needed to be fitted for the person who received it. Well, it was then that the vice president said, hey, we're going on a trip soon. Why don't you join us? What do you think my response was? That's impossible. I can't go overseas. But six months later, I was in the mountains of Mexico. I saw a mother carrying her 19-year-old son in who had cerebral palsy because that was the only way to get him to the distribution site. He arrived being carried by his mother. He was pushed out in a wheelchair. That week changed the course of my life. And for the next eight years, I was distributing wheelchairs in Mexico, Afghanistan, Costa Rica, and El Salvador. I was able to pass along my hope in the midst of my unimaginable situation. I'd like to tell you about Maribel. I met Maribel in Costa Rica at the Municipal Palace in San Jose, Costa Rica. We were at, in this big building. It was all marble walls. So it was very noisy with voices bouncing off the walls. And she was seated on the floor. We had a, a seating and positioning station where there was cardboard laid on the floor. And I was called over because they needed an interpreter. So I pushed over and I saw that our disabilities were very similar and that we were similar in age. And I introduced myself and she introduced herself and I asked her what level spinal cord injury she had. She had polio. I had to stop and think, how does she have polio? And then I realized polio hadn't been eradicated in Costa Rica till many years after it had been eradicated here in the US. It had left her a quadriplegic, just like me. 
But as part of our process, we would often ask questions just to see how people, um, the support system that people have and how they get around their house. And so the next question was, how do you get around your house? And she looked at everyone. She looked down at the floor and said, en mi trasero, on my bottom. I had heard those words hundreds of times before, but it pierced my heart. And I think part of that was because we were similar in age and similar disability. Not only was Mary Bell ashamed, but she was hopeless. And so we took her measurements, we found a wheelchair for her. And once she was in the chair, we sat side by side and I showed her how I was able to push my wheelchair without the use of my hands. And she began pushing her wheelchair. And just like my tube of mascara, Mary Bell had some hope. The next time you're faced with an impossible situation, I challenge you to look around and see the opportunities that are around you to pass your hope on to others because suddenly your situation may not seem so hopeless. The third lesson I've learned is to be willing to take a risk. Many things in life we consider impossible simply because we've never seen it done before. In March of 2020, it certainly seemed impossible the world would shut down for over a year. It also seemed impossible that scientists would be able to develop a vaccine that might slow or prevent the symptoms from being as severe, but they've done it. In 2019, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of putting a man on the moon. Prior to 1969, it was believed to be impossible to put a man on the moon until it was done. For me, the impossible was living independently. About 10 years after my injury, I took the risk of trying to play wheelchair tennis. And you're probably asking, why is it a risk to play tennis, right? Well, I have a feeling all of you guys are high performing, possibly perfectionistic women or recovering perfectionist. Well, that was me to a T. And I didn't want to do something that I wasn't going to be very good at. So it was a risk to play tennis and to be really bad at something. But the first time I got in a tennis chair and I made, I, I had to use tape to tape my hand to the racket. But the first time I connected with the ball, oh, to feel that power go through my arm and hear the pop of the ball, it was a great feeling. And I had an outlet again, another physical outlet that I had lost for over 10 years. Well, I was finally invited to play at a wheelchair tennis tournament in Tucson, Arizona. I was nervous, but I went out and after a long, long day of matches, I went up to my hotel room and I expected to find my friend there. Her name is Bree, and she had accompanied me to help me with personal care. 
things like transferring in and out of bed and getting dressed and undressed. But Bree wasn't there. So I waited and I waited. She didn't come. Finally, I texted, no response. I, I called her phone, she didn't pick up. And after about 25 minutes, I started to get frustrated. I was frustrated enough to go and get my stuff, throw it into bed and decided I needed to transfer into bed. Now there's something you need to know. I was able to transfer by myself into bed, but I would never do it without someone around because it wasn't worth the risk of falling. But on this night, I decided I needed to take the risk. And so I lined my chair up next to the bed. I grabbed my sliding board that I used to assist in transfers and scooted it underneath my bottom. And then using my upper body strength, lifted myself up and scooted myself over into bed. I did it. I used my wrist and picked up my right leg and laid it in bed. Picked up my left leg, put it in bed. All right, now I was safe. What you guys don't see is that I am not a petite, short gymnast. <laughs> I'm 5'8 or 5'9, and my feet were a long way away from me. And I had to get my shoes off. So I pulled my leg up, crossed it over my leg, and with the palm of my hand, I wedged that shoe off little by little. Okay, straighten that leg out, pulled the other one up, crossed it over, and wedged that shoe off little by little. Okay. Now I had to get my pants off. So I put my thumb in the waistband of my pants and inch by inch, wiggle by wiggle, I managed to get my pants over my hips, down past my knees and over my feet. And then I started falling. Why? Because I had just done the impossible. It was at that very moment that Bree walked in the door and saw me crying, Jenny, what's wrong? I did it. Oh, and then she started crying. But then she immediately said, Mike wouldn't let me come up. He said you'd do it if I wasn't here to help. I was not very happy with Mike. But there's something that you need to know about Mike. He also used a wheelchair. And he knew I needed a push in the right direction. I needed to be pushed out of my comfort zone and I needed to take a risk. Once I returned home from the tennis tournament, I pushed into my bedroom, I closed the door, I put my stuff in bed and I transferred into bed. 
And that was the beginning of living the impossible. For the past 14 years, I've been living in my own place. I do have help three mornings a week to help with a shower. So I'm not completely independent, but you also have to decide, how do you define independence? I do rely on someone, but I'm in charge of it. I drive, I work, I've played tennis and rugby and I row, I volunteer, I'm living the impossible. My challenge to you is the next time you're faced with a seemingly impossible situation, learn from my lessons, live with hope, pass your hope on to others and be willing to take a risk because the impossible rarely happens where it's comfortable. I've learned not to say that's impossible. My wheelchair won't determine if I'm capable of doing something. In fact, it probably makes me more willing to defy others' expectations and be really stubborn. <laughs> but I believe that living the impossible doesn't begin when a cure for, a cure for paralysis is found or when I get a job that pays more, or when I get married. I believe that I need to keep on rolling no matter what my circumstances are. And why? Because I've learned that using a wheelchair has taken me places that I never dared to imagine. And I hope that the same can be true for you. All right, thank you. <laughs> wow, that was fantastic. It was just amazing hearing about everything. And the way you tell your story is just so like incredible. I couldn't even like, I just kept thinking and thinking. So I think we can go into our questions now. And I think it's start like, does anyone else have questions? If not, I can start. I think we can just do it by unmuting and just saying it out loud if that's okay with you, Jenny. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got a question, if that's okay. Um, I was wondering, so you talked about how you're a perfectionist and starting wheelchair tennis, like it was a big leap. And I know I'm definitely the same way. So what advice would you tell girls who are thinking about trying something new, like a new sport, but they're scared to fail? Try anything once. And that's what I found. I didn't want to try rowing. I said, I'll try it once. I'll give anything a try one time. I've been in Boulder while I went up to Keystone. To, to try skiing. And I've skied once and I will probably only ski once. <laughs> but I fell in love with rowing and I wouldn't have fallen in love with rowing had I not tried. And so there's no harm in trying something one time. If you make a fool out of yourself, you know, it, it's just part of life and you learn and you can learn to laugh about it. Um, but you, you're gonna miss out on so many opportunities if you're not willing to take that risk and try something new. I think I can go next. Maybe just like, do you have any tips for like staying grateful and positive, like during those ups and downs and like getting to me living the impossible? Like, how do you get past that and just stay like grateful? I think one of the perspectives that traveling has given me has been that perspective of 
all that we do have access to here in the US and in the West in general. And so seeing people without wheelchairs or just the poverty that some people live in, that big picture is a context in which I have to try to go back to sometimes because you know there's the cool little term right now, first world problems, but it's so true. You know, if, if I'm complaining about, um, I, there was someone that was complaining about the crappy wheelchair that they received in therapy. This was a titanium wheelchair, you guys, that was like $7,000. Oh, I had to bite my tongue because, you know, on social media, you can't always say what you're thinking or you shouldn't. <laughs> and it's, it's once again, going back to that perspective of, man, I'm grateful to not only have one chair, but I have a rugby chair, I have a tennis chair, I have a manual chair, I have a power chair. How many people get to say that? And so um, also going back to just the ability that I've been able to, to get to as far as living independently, just being grateful for that, being grateful that I can sleep in on a Saturday morning if I choose to. Um, for most of us who need assistance with getting up or going to bed, we're on someone else's schedule. And I, I never pulled an all-nighter for college because when my mom or my grandma went to bed, that was my bedtime. And so once again, I think it's all about perspective and what do you have to be grateful for? Okay, I guess, oh, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say, I wanna let you guys know I am an open book, so nothing is off limits, bladder, bowel, whatever, you, you can ask, okay? So don't be embarrassed because it's just one of those things. I think, I guess, I, I just wanted to ask about like rowing and what's it like for you in the story about getting into that? Because I, I can't imagine like rowing seems so difficult just in general, like how, mm -hmm. what's it like, like learning that for the first time and even just like getting into the boat and everything. Yes, yeah, so the very first time I, I was harassed until I came down. So I'm like, fine, I'll go down one time and just to get him to stop asking me to, to come and try rowing. And so, oh gosh, the, the dock at the time and still was very, very steep. And I'm like, oh, I am never doing this again. <laughs> so I actually had to go down backwards and had you know someone standing back of me just to keep it safe to go down to the water level. And then um, I am still lifted into the boat by two people, a two person lift down into the boat. And instead of a sliding seat, because I don't have any trunk function, um, I have a fixed seat. And so I have a chest strap around uh, my middle because without trunk function, I'm just gonna fall forward. And I can't hold onto the oars, just like I can't hold onto the tennis racket. So um, I use these grips that are called active hands that help me hold onto the oar, onto both oars. And so it was, it was interesting and difficult and complicated, and yet it was freedom because it's the only sport I've been able to do where I've not been in my wheelchair. I've been out in nature, surrounded by water and bugs and animals and birds chirping and the little turtles and the little ducks that are swimming, you know, on the, 
the river. And um, it took me several years to really get the rhythm and the flow down. And it was around that time that I met Pilar's mom and she became my rowing partner. And I, we, I think we've been rowing 14 years together. Pilar was little itty bitty when, when we met. And um, I just love rowing with Jenny. So I, I think the thing about sports um, and no matter if you guys change sports in the future, you don't continue to do what you're doing now. Sports is not just a physical activity, it's social. And so the social interaction that you can have with others is so important. And what I really love about adaptive rowing or para rowing as it's called now, is that there's a variety of disabilities. So there's visually impaired, um, you have CP, you have amputees, you have people with spinal cord injuries. So there's all sorts of disabilities that are able to row. And um, so I row in both a single and a double, so I can row by myself as well. I did that a lot last summer because of uh, COVID and everything. And then Hilar was, was swimming a lot last summer, so her mom couldn't always make it to practice. But yeah, it was just one of those things where I fell in love with it and I, I continue to do it uh, as a challenge. And so uh, when Jenny and I can make it from downtown up to uh, the water tower, if you guys are familiar in Louisville, those of you who live here, um, that's about two and a half miles upstream. And then we have to turn around and make it all the way back. <laughs> so, uh, but it's a challenge and it's, it, I just feel, I like the, the physicality of a challenge. Um, I think we can always challenge ourselves mentally and intellectually, but there's something for me, especially growing up as a gymnast, that the physical challenges are something that just gets down into the core where it really challenges you um, to get out of your comfort zone and do something new. Does that answer your question? Yes, that's great. That's okay. really interesting. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I have to say, I've been on that same dock and oh my gosh, even walking up and down, <laughs> I go with my dad out rowing occasionally, okay. very occasionally. But when he makes me carry the boat and I'm walking down, I'm always so scared. <laughs> Um, but I was wondering if you don't mind sharing, what goals are you working on right now, either like in the boat um, physically or not? I would say, well, okay, so I do have a goal. Jenny and I have talked about for a long time. So Pilar's mom's name is Jenny also. Um, we would really, really like to row the head of the Charles in Boston, which is like the premier rowing event in the U.S., the problem is, is that there's no quad division in rowing. So I'm having to compete against people with much more function than I have. And it's typically males too. So I'm not only at a disadvantage um, physiologically because of my injury. So heart rate, blood pressure is all affected with my level of injury. Um, but people that I'm competing against also have their hand, full hand function usually some trunk function and their guys. And uh, for the longest time, I'm like, I can do anything a guy can do. Well, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, there is a difference in upper body strength and, you know, just have to live with that. So I am kind of at a double disadvantage there, but we still want to try it. So 
hopefully in the next year or two, uh, maybe we can can check that one off the list. I'd really like to, to be able to try it. So that's um, that would be a goal for rowing. Um, more of a another goal. I'm not sure that this started out as a goal. It was just something that I kind of felt like God tapped me on the shoulder and said, it's time. And I, it's one of the things that I had said, I will never, don't do that. Um, you know, people, oh, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. No, I will never write a book. Well, I've written a book. <laughs> but just last week, I got the word that it will not be traditionally published by a, a big book publisher. So, oh, that means the next step would be self-publishing, which means more time, more energy, more brain space, and money. So that's going to be my next goal is to figure out what, what that's going to look like. Come on, guys. I know you. <laughs> I do have another one. I just want to make sure I'm not like overlapping with anyone. So, um, yeah, if anyone else has a question, you can go ahead. But uh, I just wanted to ask kind of like, what was your inspiration to start your blog and just talk about everything that like you, you're facing and your story and, and all your experiences? I had been asked to write for a medical supply company, just a couple articles, and I really found it just a really good process of, I like journaling, but this was, this was really putting stuff out there for a lot of people to know about me, but there was something that was really freeing about it because, because I had been ashamed for so long of talking about anything related to bladder or bowel or disability. It was just, I wanted to keep it hidden. And there's something that's, oh, it's just like a breath of fresh air when you get to share that and not keep it hidden. And I realized that through my writing, if I could help others who were newly injured or those around them, um, their family members, because the family members are impacted by a spinal cord injury, not in the same way as the person who's injured. But Heather, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, your daughter had been injured and that impacts the whole family. That impacts friends. My best friend, um, we had been sitting in the pool the night before my injury, talking about what it would be like to be paralyzed. What do you think she was feeling after my injury? My brother, who was two years younger than me, suddenly had the responsibility of cooking and doing laundry and ironing and all these things that he had never had to do before. So the impact is not just on me, but it's on my family and on my friends, on my community. And so I think the education part of that is what I really enjoy is, is if I can help that one person to take a next step in the right direction, to get pushed out of their comfort zone and to live the impossible, it's all worth it. That, that's so amazing. Yeah, I like even I think it's so it's difficult to sometimes when people say, oh, someone has a disability or something happened to them. But once you kind of hear about the like the the ways you push through that and the ways that you found in all of those, like I can feel like much more empathy and like kind of understand in a way. So I think that's just incredible. And how do you like find that vulnerability and confidence to share and put it all out there and, and be like, and this is my true authentic self and not be like, oh, I'm like insecure or something's happening because I definitely feel like there's a moment of insecurity. I just, I can't, it's hard to get past. 
it's very hard to get past. And I think it's just been little by little. So I think some of the feedback that I've received from people who have been encouraged by my sharing, I think that just encourages me that, okay, what I'm doing is helpful. And once again, just going back to when we keep stuff hidden, it just gets yucky and just let it out and it doesn't seem so bad. We all pee and poop. We just may not pee and poop in the same way. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, little by little. And, and I think by going through that confidence, you, you don't go in with confidence, but you gain confidence as you do it. So I don't think you can ever wait until you have the confidence to do something. You have to step out. What's the, isn't there a quote about um, just do it scared? Um, just do it, even if you're doing it in, out of fear or in fear, and slowly that confidence will come alongside you. Hi, um, I'm just gonna jump in really quick. I have a question. Um, so one of my roommates in college actually rode on the IU rowing team for a little bit. So she took me um, to the rowing machine a couple of times and like, it is a workout, it is hard. Yeah. And one of the things, uh, one of my favorite things I remember hearing from her about rowing was um, what their coxswain would say to them to like keep them rowing fast. So like, I just wanted to ask like, what are something that keep, when you're in the water, like in the boat, what is your coxswain saying to you guys? Like, from your perspective and like what keeps you guys motivated as you're in the water? Cause like yeah. I've heard her tell some like really funny stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a single and a double, we don't have a coxswain. Okay. So, um, because if, if I'm in the double with Jenny, she'll be sitting in the front or back of the boat, which she's behind me, you know, because in rowing you go backwards. So it's a little, right. but, um, if we want, to really pull out a good 10, she'll just start counting. Hey, let's pull out a good 10, three, two, one, one, two. And, you know, just really count out a good pace where we're both pulling as strong as we can. And the thing is with rowing is 80% of your power comes from your legs. <laughs> I don't have legs. <laughs> so well, I have them, they don't function. And so, but Jenny has to match my stroke. So she's not allowed to slide either. And so we're both only rowing arms only. And so um, we were up in a competition up in Indianapolis at um, Eagle Creek Reservoir. And we were the only adaptive boat in the race. And I had pontoons on the boat because international regulation and just safety, you have to have pontoons on so that in theory, you can't flip the boat over um, because I'm strapped into the boat. You know, if it goes over, People are like, well, what happens if you go over? I'm like, I'll die happy. <laughs> um, you know, there's some truth to it. Uh, but they're like, oh, that's not fair. They have, they have pontoons. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think they're even noticing that we're just rowing arms only right now. So um, yeah, but it's a, it's a great workout. I do have a rowing machine at home. And so three times a week, you know, I go over and, you know, pull out, 20 minutes worth on the erg just to stay in shape because I think endorphins are just a lovely thing. It helps with pain, especially when we're at the computer all day, you know, we're just sitting badly and it just, that workout is just good to get the blood flowing and yeah. So just thank it. you. Yeah. You ladies have got to have some guns if you're doing that. <laughs> Getting there. Yeah. I won't ever have what I need. I don't think I'm built for it. <laughs> 
I'm gonna have a question. Um, earlier you mentioned you found like a lot of hope in your faith and I was just wondering like did it ever make you question it and if so like how do you like push past that? That's a great question. It's a complicated question too. Um, there, part of me um, at the time of my injury I was afraid to to be mad at God uh, and it was never told to me that a good Christian shouldn't be mad at God. But there was some part of me that kind of felt that way. I don't have that problem anymore. So I think once again, getting that out and being able to share that, um, it's helpful. Being able to ask those why questions, even when there isn't an answer is helpful. Um, But it's difficult. Um, In 2018, I had a surgery and I had prayed about it. I had questioned all my doctors about it. and I went forward and had it, and I've had a lot of complications due to it. And it's just like, well, wait, you know, you allowed this to happen. And same with, you know, why uh, that, you know, and I, that's when I have to go back to, um, you know, there's a verse in John 9 about a man who was born blind. And it says, um, you know, this didn't happen because this man or his parents sinned, but so that God would be glorified through his life. And so I just have to go back to those and go, okay, this is not about me. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Jenny, this is just so inspiring and so incredible. And um, one of the questions that keeps coming to my mind is when, when you're in those moments when that are darker or when you're just, um, you're not able to think about maybe the third world countries that have it worse mm-hmm. off or um, things like that. You know, what, what are some of the things you tell yourself or how do you, um, how do you handle your mindset in those moments? I think one thing that I've learned, um, and this is what I did not do well, especially at the be- beginning of my injury, um, because I was, okay, once again, gymnastics, you know, got to tough it up. You work through the pain, you push through it, you get yelled at. I got yelled at, wasn't a healthy situation. And so I was a stuffer. I just stuffed anything that I felt. And that continued after my injury. Um, I was not depressed after my injury. I just went on and that's not healthy. You guys, um, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be mad. And it's really unhealthy if you don't do that. And so it took me, I I went in kicking and screaming to the graduate degree for counseling psychology. And I truly think if the only reason God made me do that was to learn, I had a, I had um, one of the people that I did an internship with, he had scored, scored me low on something. Well, you know, I'm looking through everything expecting, you know, outstanding because that's what I do, right? And it said average or something. And um, I teared up, which was not like me at all. And he said that, that's what I want to see more of. And he changed the evaluation. Um, and so if you're going to be working with people, you've got to be real and you've got to be authentic, but if you're stuffing that down so far that you don't even know what authentic is to yourself, 
um, you need to reach out. And so in those dark places, those dark times, um, you know, I just know who my safe people are, my safe friends, and I can reach out and say, life sucks right now. And, um, you know, if I'm in bed with a pressure sore or a red spot in my butt, I know who to call, who will get it. And we can just moan and groan together and it's okay. Um, and so you don't always have to have this perfect Pollyanna outlook because that's unrealistic. Um, what is realistic is to be able to moan and groan and complain and then take the next step forward. Do what you have to do and move forward. Thank you. It's a healthy perspective in many ways. I, I learned the hard way. <laughs> okay, I think if, uh, if and not anyone else has like any more questions, I think we can go into the quick fire. Um, is that okay? Okay, so it's so exciting. So the quick fire is one of our favorite things here when we do this. Uh, just quick questions. I think Polar went them over with you a little bit. Um, just answer top of your head. There's no right, wrong answers, just anything that comes to mind. Okay, so the first one is, do you have any pets? No. Okay. Uh, favorite color? Blue. Okay. Favorite TV show? Favorite TV of all time? Alias, favorite TV show right now, McLeod's Daughters or Madam Secretary. Okay, favorite blog article that you've written? Hmm. The one identi on identity changed me the most. I think that's when the light clicked for me. Okay. I'll be okay. reposting that next week, so. Okay, we'll all check it out then, for <laughs> sure. Okay, uh, favorite place you visited? Uh, okay, my favorite place to visit is my great aunt's house on a lake near Chicago. Okay, we'll just leave it at that because there's too many places <laughs> in the world that are just incredible, so. Okay, okay. Uh, winter or summer Olympics? Summer. Okay. Cold or warm weather? Fall in October in Louisville. Oh, yeah, of course. That's such a nice time. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's a weird habit that you've picked up during quarantine? Mm. Two pieces of chocolate a day instead <laughs> <laughs> okay a uh, long or short sleeve like shirts or jackets or anything depends on the weather okay uh biggest accomplishment when i was leaving the organization um where i was distributing wheelchairs um a distribution had been canceled and I already set it up. The chairs were already in Afghanistan. So I re-raised money. I got a team of volunteers over there and I finished what I said I would do. So I think that kind of pops to mind. Okay, that's great. Um, okay, favorite music artist? Ren Collective. Uh, thoughts on chocolate mm -hmm. milk? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Okay, this one now gets into the controversial ones. Ooh. So choose your ones wisely. Okay, pineapple on pizza. No. 
Oh, okay. Mint chocolate chip ice cream. Sure. Okay. Uh, okay. Favorite row rowing snack like before. Pita chips and hummus with liquid IV. Oh, oh, that's so good. Okay. If you were a kitchen utensil, what would you be? Personally, my favorite question. A fork because it can do just about anything. It can multi, it can work in different areas. It can do different things. Okay, exactly. Okay. A uh, favorite item that you've bought this year? Oh, it's just March. Um, I can't think of anything that, oh, I, I bought a sweatshirt from Old Navy that has like the big comfy um, neckline, like the oh. neck, and it's really soft and warm. Yeah. So that would be it so far. Okay, that's great. Okay, H favorite way to cook potatoes? Okay, I like to peel the potatoes, wrap them in foil, put them in the oven for a little bit, and then get butter and melt it in a pan and then fry them. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good. Okay, and then favorite way to cook eggs? Scrambled. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then last one, what has been your funniest rowing moment? Okay, well, I don't know if this is funny, but we laugh about it now. So I was at a regatta and I could not find my hat. And because I'm blonde and my hair, my scalp will burn and my eyes are super sensitive, I was freaking out about not being able to find my hat. And um, yeah, so I was really grumpy with everyone and uh, it was in my bag the whole time. So. <laughs> Pre-competition jitters don't look pretty on me. <laughs> exactly. I uh, yeah, definitely been in that situation before. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's that's it. I'm so it was amazing to speak with you today and have you come like lead this and just hear everything about you. Uh, thank you so much. And yeah, I think that's it. Thank you guys. This has been great. Would I be able to take a screenshot? Would you guys feel comfortable if I share that? Yeah. Okay. One, two. it didn't work there we go all right cool thank you guys you had great questions and i hope yeah um hope we can do this again sometime or yeah thank you so much this was amazing yes it was incredible jenny thank you thank you for absolutely. being here and thank you for sharing your story absolutely anytime you guys thanks so much take care bye thank bye. you thank you